available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Welcome to Outlook for the first time uh, in 2023. I'm Peter Walters, uh, and this edition has been recorded on Wednesday the 4th of January. Coming up in the next 90 minutes, Margaret uh, is looking at some more of Coventry's great heritage buildings, in particular Greyfriars Christchurch. Uh, We hear from the writer of the TV detective series Vera, uh, there's another story from Cynthia Townsend, who's been very popular with our readers, our, our listeners rather. Um, Dave and his son Graham have been doing a barrel bike ride, we'll hear about that. Uh, and we'll also hear a poem uh, read, I think, by Margaret called Johnny, uh, Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. All that plus our usual features, but we start with a review of past week's local news with myself and Elaine. Outlook News. National Express Coventry has announced a number of changes to bus services in the city in the new year that will see some services axed. The changes include revised timetables to improve reliability and to, they say, make transport more efficient for residents. The operator says the changes will see minor timetable adjustments to meet customer demand but some services will be withdrawn. Some areas of Coventry will see a change to bus frequencies and times. The changes are taking place from Sunday the 1st of January 2023. Some services will see significant changes while others will be provided by a different bus operator. Chris Gibbons, Commercial Director for National Express Coventry, said We know that our bus services are lifelines to many communities and we have been working closely with Transport for West Midlands to provide services and ensure buses continue serving all parts of the city and surrounding areas. As we move into the new year, our priority is to continue building on the positive steps we are taking to improve the reliability of our services while we continue to provide a comprehensive network. We have carefully reviewed the network to make sure it fits with current demand and our customers should see an improved service with greater certainty so that they can reliably plan to get to where they need to go. I am both proud and thankful to our workforce who throughout the challenging circumstances affecting our industry is working incredibly hard to keep our customers moving. We appreciate the difficulties facing our customers too. With the cost of living pressures and many prices rising elsewhere, we are pleased to have frozen our fares once again, providing the people of Coventry with the lowest bus fares in England. The services affected are the number one, Coventry to Cowden via Earlston. The number three, Arena Shopping Park to University Hospital via Coventry and Warwickshire Shopping Park. Number five, Coventry City Centre to Holbrooks via Cowden and Radford. 5A, Coventry to Chapel Fields via Cowden. 
5B, Coventry to Radford via Cowden. The 7, Bell Green to Brownshill Green via Coventry. 7A, Bell Green to Coventry. 20A and 20C, Coventry City Centre to University Hospital via Foles Hill Road. And finally, 31, Wood End to University Hospital via Potter's Green. Coventry welcomed the first baby of 2023 as the proud parents celebrated their special arrival on the first day of the year. Little Lucas Stefan Coman arrived weighing £8 one ounce just minutes after the clock, clock struck 12 on Sunday, January the 1st. Parents Juana and Nikosor Coman from Rugby welcomed their little one exactly 17 minutes after midnight at University Hospital, Coventry. Proud father Nikosor said, All I can say is I never thought I could ever feel so much happiness in my life, and the happiness will never end for us seeing our little baby getting bigger and stronger every day. In a post shared on Facebook, UHCW said, Say hello to our first gorgeous bundle of joy, born in 2023. Little Lucas Stefan Coman, wearing £8 one ounce, arrived at University Hospital Coventry just 17 minutes after midnight. Congratulations to parents of Anna and Nikazor, along with all our other new arrivals and their families. What a way to start the new year. A hugely popular store at Coventry Market has closed for the final time because of plans for the land to be redeveloped as part of City Centre South. CF Southall Pet and Horticultural Supplies has been loved by shoppers for over three decades, but shut for good on Christmas Eve. Colin Southall took the decision to close as the land has been acquired by Coventry City Council. It will be redeveloped as part of multi-million pound redevelopment City Centre South, which will see parts of the City Centre demolished, including the City Arcade and the Bullyard. Colin has been supplying top quality plants, bulbs, seeds, holly wreaths, bird food and pet products for an astonishing 32 years. He described the closure of the much-loved market store as the end of an era with three generations of his family having worked at Coventry Market. Les Swan founded the stall in 1958, then hired Colin to help out after he left school at the age of 15. After two years, Colin went to work at Brandish Vauxhall, but then returned years later to purchase the stall where he had worked as a youngster. Colin said, We have had so many wonderful customers, and I really mean that. I have had customers from all different backgrounds in tears that we are going. This has been really quite touching. The number of customers that we know on first name terms that trust us and come back. Colin will be putting his feet up as he heads into semi-retirement after being at the helm of the business for more than three decades. Speaking about his retirement plans, he said, I would like to spend more time with my wife, perhaps go out and do some more of the things we could not do because of work, catch up on a little bit more fishing, which is my hobby, go out with my dog, and generally slow down. A Coventry great-grandad who underwent a quadruple heart bypass has completed a huge year-long charity walking challenge. 
Tony Cullingham set out to walk 10 miles every day throughout 2022 for a kids' charity. Tony, who's 73, completed his last circuit of War Memorial Park last Sunday. I beg your pardon, last Saturday. He's now raised more than £8,200 for Warwick-based charity Molly Ollies by clocking up over 5,050 miles on his early morning laps around the city park. Tony's now travelled almost the equivalent distance of Coventry to Arizona in the United States, overcoming health problems and extreme weather conditions along the way. He missed only seven 6am starts on the advice of doctors, insisting the charity cause, as well as the support he received, made him determined to see the challenge through. Tony said, several things keep me motivated. Most of all, I don't want to let down the children and their families who are helped by Molly Ollies. Getting up at 5am and walking between 10 and 18 miles a day every day is a challenge in itself, but the weather can make it even more so. Walking in Arctic temperatures certainly takes its toll, but you could always add extra layers of clothing to keep you warm. He added, I said at the outset that I didn't know if I could complete this challenge. I must confess to a sense of achievement. Tony's been spurred on every day by the precious memory of his late wife Jackie of 47 years, who died of cancer last year. I feel like she's been with me in spirit throughout. I think it surprised a lot of people, but I've kept it up, he said. As well as a sense of pride, Tony's forged new friendships and will look back on the year as one of the best adventures of his life. His most special memories, including meeting three mums in the park whose children have been helped by the charity and bumping into two nurses at University Hospital Coventry in Warwickshire who helped him through his own operation five years ago. Warwick-based Molly Ollies, which marked its 10th anniversary this year, was founded by Rachel and Tim Olleranshaw following the death of their eight-year-old daughter Molly, who died from a rare kidney cancer. Molly Ollies supports children with life-threatening diseases and their families. It helps with emotional support and donates wishes, therapeutic toys and books to children directly and through hospitals right across the UK. Arsonists are believed to have caused a huge fire at a derelict hotel in Coventry. Firefighters rushed to reports of a blaze at the Orsley Hotel shortly before 4.25pm on Bank Holiday Monday this week. Crews were told by nearby residents that smoke had been seen coming from windows and emanating from the roof of the disused hotel. Two fire engines from Coventry and Canley fire stations arrived at the scene within five minutes of being mobilised. Ten firefighters rushed to tackle the blaze on Birmingham Road. West Midlands Fire Service confirmed that a sofa had been set on fire deliberately. Firefighters ventilated the empty building and conducted a full search after extinguishing the blaze. A spokesman for West Midlands Fire Service said, Just before 4.25pm on Bank Holiday Monday, we were alerted to smoke coming from windows and the roof of a disused hotel on Birmingham Road in Orsley. Two fire engines responded from the stations in Coventry and Canley, with the first arriving within five minutes. Ten firefighters attended. They arrived to find a sofa that had been set on fire deliberately. 
Once the fire was extinguished, crews ventilated the building and conducted a full search. We left the scene just after 5.15pm. It comes after firefighters tackled a deliberate fire at the disused hotel in August last year. Six crews worked to extinguish the blaze which saw the temporary closure of Birmingham Road. New shows are set to be filmed in and around Coventry this year, a location manager has revealed. Coventry's already seen three high-end television dramas filmed in the city last year, and there's set to be more to come in 2023. The area has now become a hub for new and upcoming big-screen shows, with people regularly spotting film crews on our city's streets. And production companies say they're choosing Coventry as an ideal shooting location. It comes days after it emerged that filming had been taking place for months at the former IKEA building in Coventry. The work going on there was for Three Little Birds, Sir Lenny Henry's new drama, which has also seen part of the city turn back to the 1950s for filming. Now, with the area rising in popularity, residents may see brand new shows filmed in their neighbourhoods. ITV, BBC and independent film companies are turning to our area for filming opportunities for prime locations, a production location manager has said. Ryan Green, location manager for production company Tiger Aspect, said Coventry's been ideal for filming because of its diverse locations and buildings. Tiger Aspect has been responsible for the production of three different ITV shows filmed in Coventry. These are Neighbours at War... Three Little Birds, and the BBC children's drama, Phoenix Rise. Ryan Green and his brother Chris Green work across the country, hunting for top locations to film some of the country's biggest shows, including ITV dramas. Ryan said, The Midlands area started to pick up pace to becoming a hub. For the Neighbours at War drama, we had a variety of properties to choose from. We were trying to depict the country for the whole of the show, We were asked about Coventry before we started working on the show and we all agreed it was a great choice because of the different types of properties and diversity with locations. Phoenix Rise has been filmed recently on Coventry streets as well as elsewhere. On December the 21st, actors were spotted at multi-million pound venue Players Entertainment in the city centre. A big section of nearby Bishop Street car park was shut off to the public. Vans of filming equipment and props were parked outside the Silver Street venue, and they were also seen filming in Corporation Street in November. In the summer, we revealed that camera crews were in Coventry to film a new ITV series. Filming took place for Neighbours at War at various locations across the city. Convicted criminals have been ordered to hand back more than 1.6 million after West Midlands police went after their ill-gotten gains. Financial investigators helped to recover the dirty money, which means crooks cannot benefit from any illegal earnings in the future. Police secured over 100 confiscation or forfeiture orders under the Proceeds of Crime Act during the last 12 months. Those who don't pay up face extended prison sentences, although the debt never goes away and officers are able to recover what is owed in the future. The recovered money can compensate victims or is invested into helping communities under the Police and Crime Commissioner's Active Citizens Fund.
Detective Chief Alexander Alex Pritchard, who heads up our Economic Crime Unit, said, We know that criminals involved in the likes of drug dealing and fraud are likely to have accrued large sums of money in their illegal activities. So being convicted and jailed is not the end of things. It's just the start for us as we seek to trace the cash and prove it's dirty money. These can often be complex inquiries, but we have very skilled staff who are able to pinpoint their illegal gains and ensure that crime doesn't pay. The West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner, Simon Foster, added, It's always pleasing to see the police deal with criminals robustly, recover proceeds of crime, and ensure justice is served. I will invest much of the recovered assets and cash back into our region to support communities that are determined to prevent crime and keep their areas safe and secure. The news that rail fares are set to rise once more in 2023 has been branded a total shambles. Passengers will have to fork out up to 5.9% more for their travel under new plans announced by the government. The Department of Transport has said regulated fares are being capped below inflation to prevent a double-digit hike for travellers. The change will come into force on March the 5th rather than in January, as was the case before the pandemic. Coventry MP Taiwo Owatemi reacted to the news by saying this huge hike in rail fares is yet another blow for families in Coventry struggling with the cost of living crisis this winter. Fares are rising twice as fast as wages, yet commuters are still dealing with the chaos caused by failing private operators. A total shambles. The average commuter faces paying a staggering £3,466 for their season ticket. £1,272 more than in 2010. But Transport Secretary Mark Harper said, This is the biggest ever government intervention in rail fares. We do not want to add to the problem. This is a fair balance between the passengers who use our trains and the taxpayers who help pay for them. Shadow Transport Secretary Louise Haig said, This brutal Conservative fare hike will be a sick joke for the millions of passengers reliant on crumbling rail services. David Sidebottom, Director at Watchdog Transport Focus, said, No one likes prices going up. In our latest research, less than half of passengers think the railway currently performs well on delivering value-for-money tickets. After months of unreliable services and strike disruption, it's clear that too many passengers are not getting a value-for-money service. Capping fares below inflation and the delay until March is welcome and will go some way to easing the pain. But the need to reform need for reform of fares and ticketing in the longer term must not be forgotten. Coventry City have paid a special tribute to the specials legend Terry Hall following the news of his death which was announced in December. Coventry City FC lit up a huge sign at their recent clash against West Bromwich Albion to pay tribute to the late singer-songwriter in front of 22,000 fans. It featured a line from the world-famous song, Enjoy Yourself. Across the city, so many people have been touched by his death. Songs have been played, signs were lit up in his memory, and displays were set up to remember the legacy he left. Overhead signs on the city centre ring road were changed to read, Too much, 
Too Young, R.I.P. Terry Hall, 1959-2022. to Thank You for the Memories was also posted on a promotional sign outside music venue HMV Empire. Terry Hall rose to fame as part of the specials in the late 1970s with number one hits including A Message to You Rudy, Rat Race and Ghost Town. Terry lived in Hillfields and went to Sydney Stringer before joining the Scar Band in 1977. The specials changed the face of music, providing a musical backdrop to economic recession, urban decay and societal fracture in the early 1980s. Residents have called for a permanent tribute to the legendary band they say should be erected in the heart of the city. Manager of HMV Empire, Phil Rooney, said there should be a statue erected in memory of Terry Hall. A tribute from Coventry Cathedral said the 2019 performance at the Cathedral Ruins captured the very essence of Coventry and will not be forgotten. Our love and prayers go out to all of those whose lives Terry touched, but in particular to his friends and family. Coventry Lord Mayor Councillor Kevin Mayton hailed Hall as a true Coventrian. He said a pioneer of British two-tone music, Terry was an influential figure in the music industry when he rose to fame with the specials in the late 1970s. Not only was he a talented songwriter and inspiring performer who undertook a number of musical projects, he was a leading light for many in the fight for equality and justice. Terry Hall was a true Coventrian. A man was arrested after reports of a huge police presence on a residential street in Coventry. Officers were called to an alleged burglary on Jackers Road shortly before 4am last Saturday. Five police cars were reported to have swarmed the usually quiet street in Alderman's Green. Upon reaching the scene, police discovered a cannabis farm and seized 50 cannabis plants, which will be destroyed. A 46-year-old man was arrested and taken into custody. He was detained on suspicion of aggregated burglary, producing cannabis and assaulting a police officer. West Midlands Police has launched an investigation and have urged anyone with information to contact them. Hundreds of properties in Coventry were hit by an electricity cut in the early hours of last Saturday morning. The National Grid website showed that 726 properties had been impacted by the power cut which was first reported at 12.29am. Properties in the Walsgrave, Potters Green and Woodway Park areas were affected. National Grid then said it hoped to have supplies restored by 2am and put out a tweet at 1.58am confirming that power had been restored. In a statement on its website, National Grid said at the time, We are aware of this power cut incident which was raised at 12.29am and our engineers are working to get the power returned as soon as possible. We are sorry for any inconvenience this is causing you. True to their word, power was restored just under one and a half hours later. So much for dry January. Weatherspoons pubs across Coventry and Warwickshire are now serving up cut price drinks in a New Year price drop that runs until January the 17th. 
A number of popular drinks, including Carlsberg, Bud Light, Guinness and Stouford Pressed Dark Berry Cider, are set to cost punters less at all 560 of the chain's outlets in England and Wales, bar those within airports. A pint of Ruddles beer will be available for 99 pence, and the cost of spirits is also being reduced, including whiskey, gin, rum and vodka. The price drop is not just on alcoholic beverages, with coffee and soft drinks down to 99p in almost all of its 810 pubs UK-wide. Tim Martin, Weatherspoon founder and chairman, explained, Department stores and shops hold their sales in January, so it's the perfect time to have a sale in the pub too. The range of drinks and food on sale in the pub is aimed at suiting a wide variety of tastes, This year we've included our biggest selection of low and non-alcoholic drinks. As the price cuts are being held at different pubs across the area, the advice is to check at your local Weatherspoons. The popular chain has four pubs in Coventry and six across Warwickshire. And finally, reminiscences of Pelé. As the word world mourns Pelé, we remember the time when the footballing legend came to Coventry. Pelé, widely regarded as the best footballer to have graced the game, visited the city for a book signing back in 2006. An estimated 1,500 fans, some of whom had queued through the night, greeted the Brazilian superstar at Tesco Extra at Arena Shopping Park. He was in the city to support Warwickshire and Northamptonshire Air Ambulance and signed copies of his autobiography for fans on May the 21st, 2006. Despite the wintry weather, the fans made it feel like summer, as they anxiously waited for a chance to get a copy of their book signed by Pele. A drumming troupe was on hand to keep the crowds entertained as they waited to get into the store and meet the football legend. One such lucky fan was Bernie Donnelly, who had been queuing since around 6am with his 12-year-old grandson Callum. Speaking at the time, he said, For me, this is amazing. I've waited all my life to meet him. Callum and I love football. We support Coventry and England and have a soft spot for Brazil. Pelé is the greatest footballer who ever lived, so his has been a moving experience. Lee Thomas and his son Jacob were also lost for words when they were brought face to face with their sporting hero Pele. Lee and seven-year-old Jacob were granted a special audience with him as their prize in a Coventry Telegraph competition. Football crazy Jacob, whose full name is Jacob John Pele Thomas, entered the contest to win a one-to-one meeting with Pele as a surprise for his proud dad who is a football fanatic. Young Jacob and his dad were able to shake hands with the great man and have photographs taken, as well as have their football shirts signed. Lee said he was moved to tears when he found out about the touching gesture from his son and loved spending the morning living out his dream with Jacob. He added, It was amazing. Pele is so down to earth. And I think the way he talks about football today was the way it should be taught, that you should respect everyone. It's a once-in-the-lifetime experience, but what I was really impressed with is how he is with children. He got here and there were so many people around, 
but he went straight up to Jacob first of all and shook his hand. I also think the fact that he's come out to support the air ambulance proves the sort of man he is. He's not all about football. Outlook News Thanks to Elaine for giving us a very full uh, news bulletin this week. Um, moving on, um, here are the lighting up times uh, at the moment. Sunrise 8.16am, sunset 4.06. Um, and apparently one of the quirks after the winter solstice on the 21st of December is that sunrise stays at a similar time for some days. Uh, and it's the afternoon which gets longer with a later sunset each day. Must admit, you learn something every day, don't you? Um, but we're moving on now, um, and we're going to hear from Hugh about what's happening in the last week for the Resource Centre. Hugh. Well, thank you very much, Pete. Happy New Year to you all. I sincerely hope you've had uh, lovely Christmases and everything. Uh, I'm on to day four of not smoking currently, uh, so we're doing all right. I haven't killed anybody yet, though don't push me. Um, now... <laughs> Uh, I haven't got got a vast amount to tell you. Uh, One of the things that we are doing, uh, Joe and I particularly, we're working very intensely, is a big um, uh, grant um, opportunity that's come up for us from the City Council, amazingly. Uh, One of the things that um, I'm needing to do is um, some questionnaires. Uh, And I did manage to get some done before... Um, before Christmas. They're quite long, um, uh, but I'm looking for people to volunteer to step up and and do this questionnaire with me. Um, I could do with probably about another 15 to 20 people. Um, So if you uh, are uh, a regular attender at the Resource Centre, uh, and uh, you haven't done the questionnaire yet with me, and you would, uh, and you could spare me about uh, ten, fifteen minutes uh, one day, I would be very pleased to uh, to hear from you. Um, we've got up until well next Wednesday, so uh, you know, so you'll probably be listening to this either late in the week or early or early in the week, depending on when you get the tape. Um, but yeah, give, give us a call on Monday, and um, and we can set something up. <coughs> now um, we have diaries and calendars still available, um, large print versions. Uh, we currently have in the diaries we only have the A5 and A6 sizes left. So those are the uh, sort of sort of normal book and sort of pocket book size ones. Uh, we don't have any A4 diaries uh, left. Um, if enough people want them, we might be able to get hold of some more. But you know, at this time of year, weirdly, they you know they tend to be a bit more difficult to get hold of from the from the supplier, and the supplier's changed its uh, structure somewhat. So um, so anyway, but if you'd like to like uh, a diary, large print, bold, um, then uh, apply to Heather when you're next in, and uh, she will help you out on that front. Now, this is January, uh, and last year, if you remember in January, the staff were doing the Take On 250 Challenge, where we were getting on the exercise bike uh, for the whole month and did 250 miles or something in, um, no, I think it was 250 kilometres, um, in, uh, uh, over across the, the whole month on the exercise bike. In the kitchen. In the kitchen. Well, uh, uh, we thought that was very brave, but it's, 
It's not really, by comparison to this year's mm-hmm. Take On 250 Challenge, which is being undertaken by Chris and Claire Norman. Mm-hmm. And they are have undertaken to run 250 kilometres over the course of uh, the month. To run 250 kilometres over the course of the month. So uh, they are uh, being sponsored... Uh, and we'll be very grateful for sponsorship for them. Uh, currently, we're doing it through the Just Giving page, and we can help you uh, get to there. Uh, but it's, it's getting a bit of traction, this one, in the, in the local press. So the, uh, they're going to be in the Coventry Observer when it's published later this week. Uh, so you can look out for that story there if you get them. Uh, but also, but perhaps a bit more accessible, um, if you can't see so well, uh, will be uh, BBC Coventry in Warwickshire, uh, next Tuesday evening, Lorna Bailey's show. Uh, she talks about sporty things quite a lot. Uh, anyway, they're going to be on that show with her and uh, telling them, telling her all about their amazing challenge. Now, uh, many of you will know that Chris is totally blind and Claire is partially sighted. Um, and you know, but for Claire, it doesn't matter at night; she can't see anything either. So uh, they go, you know, so they go uh, sighted guiding. Um, they've got people to take them out, and uh, so and they're doing really, really well. And they've already raised uh, something like 300 and something pounds. So um, anything you can do to support them would be most gratefully received. Um, It's a great challenge. We're so pleased that they're doing it and proud of them and grateful to them. Now, uh, only one thing left I've got for you this week. Uh, All the groups are up and running as normal. No issues. Everything running smoothly. Uh, The charity shop um, is not open this week, uh, has not been open this week, uh, because they are currently refurbishing the front of the shop. They refurbished the back of the shop towards the end of last year, and now they're refurbishing the front of the shop. So it'll be a little bit more open, a bit more room to move around. There won't be a big uh, clothes rack, uh, clothes rail uh, slap bang in the middle of the front of the shop. Um, It'll be much more open and uh, a very pleasant shopping experience, I'm sure. Um, June... Uh, Kenny, who who runs the shop, you know, has been doing a tremendous amount of work even over the Christmas period to get it ready. And um, her daughter Vicky, uh, Vicky, uh, by the way, uh, is also uh, now our cleaner at the centre. She uh, she works here uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the afternoons to clean up after all you mucky souls. And um, uh, so uh, she and uh, June and Vicky have been working on it, as has um, uh, June Williamson, who volunteers on a Wednesday, and um, and Jeff Gort, who's uh, who also volunteers at the um, allotment club and does the and does uh, maintenance for us on a Tuesday. He's been uh, he's been pitching in quite a lot, of drilling a lot of holes. He's been doing well on that front. So that with uh, very grateful thanks to all of them. It's open next week and it's new, uh, newly refreshed and revamped form. So it's definitely worth going and checking out what they've got. Um, there might well be some bargains. You know, as people bring in their unwanted mm. gifts um, from after Christmas, some of which are quite nice, has to be said, but, mm. you know, perhaps not useful. Um, you know, there's some great stuff to be had. So it's uh, definitely worth popping in and having a, a look-see. Uh, so that, uh, dear friends, I think is it. Uh, Hugh, yes. just, just one. We have had a lot of questions on today's programme uh, in sport and news, but this one is particularly relevant to the centre. Mm-hmm. One quick question. Do you know, I will tell you if you don't, do you know who was born this day in 1809? 1809, sports-wise. No, no, No. to do with the centre. To do with the centre. Good grief. 
Well, Mary Beale is far too young for that. 1809. Mm-hmm. To do with the centre. Louis Braille. Yes. Well done. I knew that book of, um, of uh, great <laughs> stories from <laughs> history that I had in primary school would come in. Coming yes. yes. usually at some point. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Hugh. Right. Uh, as usual, it's been a busy period over Christmas and New Year in sport. And here is Sarah with today's sport. Outlook Sport. Right. Before I actually start the roundup, oh, by the way, hello, listeners. I just want to start with a few words about Cody Fisher. Cody was the young football player who was stabbed and fatally injured on the dance floor of the Birmingham nightclub. He actually played for Stratford Town, the Bards, which you observant listeners will know I've recently started covering. So he does really feel quite local and quite personal. So I'm sending all my commiserations to his family. And now we go on to my quiz. It's catch-up time. I've got three weeks of sport to cover and such a lot has happened. So we've got the Super 7 questions and they are all multi-guess. Okay, team? Okay. Yes? Okay. Yep. It's no good nodding there, Pete. The listeners won't hear you nod. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know you could ask them. <laughs> right. Okay. Question one. Who came third in the FIFA World Cup? Was it A, France, B, Morocco, or C, Croatia? Elaine. Third. Five seconds. France. Croatia. It was Croatia, or as I taught you listeners recently, Horovaska, okay. however you pronounce that. Likewise, or oh, question two, likewise, who came third in Sports Personality of the Year? I don't know. Was it <laughs> A, Eve Muirhead, B, Ronnie O'Sullivan or C Jessica Gazarova Pete um, I don't actually know the answer I might guess at Eve Muirhead I'll guess at Ronnie it was Eve Eve Muirhead the other two were shortlisted and in fact Jessica Gadarova, who you may remember won the gold medal in the gymnastics, in the world gymnastics, she was voted the young sports personality of the year. The winner was, of course, Beth Mead, the captain of the England women in the Euros. Mm. And second was Ben Stokes, as I predicted. <laughs> I'm sure helped by the rather successful performance they've had out in, but don't mention where anybody, because that's another question. (laughs) I think the Gadaroda twins um, had a a spell where they trained in Coventry 
Yes, yes. They're not actually from yes. Coventry originally, but they've been training in the city for some years. Yes, I gathered that when mm. I heard them yes, interviewed on free radio. It's like, oh, we have a local connection. Yes, yeah, they have. Now, I'm not going to repeat these options. Question three. Since we last recorded, Coventry City Football Club have played five matches. Was the overall aggregate of results A. One win, one loss, three draws B. Two wins, one loss and two draws or C. One win, two losses and two draws. Elaine. I'll go with B. The last one, I think. It was the first <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> the first match they drew 3-3 three, three against oh, yes, Swansea, yes. having led, I believe, 3-0 oh, at one yes, stage. Yes. The second match... They beat West Brom 1-0, scoring very much into injury time, shall we say. Then the third match, they lost 3-1 away to Sheffield United. And then I have to say, the last two matches have been as dull as ditch water listening on the radio. The 0-0 draw against Cardiff and the 1-1 draw against Bristol City. Were you at either of those? No, I listened on the radio as you did. Um, points lost there, I think. Definitely yes. should have should have taken at least four points out of those yes. two games. Now this weekend on Saturday, we're at, we're at home to Wrexham in the FA ah. Cup third round. But if any listeners are planning on going or listening on the radio, it is a five thirty kickoff. Not three o'clock, 5.30 on Saturday. Third round of the FA Cup against Wrexham. Who are, I am told, looking forward to it and eagerly snapped up their 5,000 Yeah, I heard that. In fact, I heard they'd been allowed 7,000. Oh, well, maybe. And I'm thinking there'll be nobody left in Wrexham. (laughs) This is the club owned by two film stars. Yes. Yeah. I hope that wasn't a question. No, 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 no. (laughs) Right, moving on swiftly or I'll get told off for overrunning. Question four. Who finished as the top world male tennis player in ranking points? Was it A, Rafa Nadal, B, Casper Ruud, or C, Carlos Alcaraz? Other guess, Rafa Nadal. A. Mm. Carlos Alcaraz. Mm. At 19. Mm. By contrast, Rafa's 36. Mm. And Casper's 20. New generation in tennis then. Absolutely. Yeah. He, of course, won the American, won the US. But you have to be careful when you come in young like that. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And we have to remember, of course, as well, that Wimbledon didn't count towards the world ranking points because of their ban on the Russian and the Belarus players. Right, moving on. Question five. Which former athlete was made a dame 
in the New Year's Honours List. Was it A. Jessica Ennis-Hill B. Denise Lewis or C. Sally Gunnell Elaine A. Jessica Denise Lewis, I think. It was Denise Lewis, yes. Particularly cited was her work for the Commonwealth Games mm. in Birmingham and also she's chair, I believe, of Commonwealth England or the Games England, whatever the organisation is called. And I have to say she's still a pretty good runner. I saw a light, light that old torch, you know, getting up them steps. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah, but Jessica, I believe, is already a day. Yeah, yeah, I knew she was already something. I didn't know whether she'd been moved, yeah. moved up or not. So in some ways, they're playing catch-up because Denise had a longer, really successful top-of-the-range career. Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Question. Oh, and other honours I'll just mention. We had... OBE for the captain of the England women and the captain of the Welsh women in the Euros. And also three others of the Lionesses got MBEs, including the aforementioned Beth Mead. Their coach, Serena Viegman, got an overseas CBE, which I thought was great. And then there were two other o um, MBEs and OBEs I'd like to mention. The first is for Chris Kamara who got an OBE for his charity work which included show races and the red card. The highly successful you know, getting racism out of football. Please, it's got to be out. And the second one is Floyd Stedman who was the first black captain of a Premier Rugby team captaining Saracens. I should also have said, of course, that Serena Viegman did win, as I predicted, Sports Personality Manager of the Year, and the England team did win Sports Personality Team of the Year. Right, question six. The men in pyjamas have just played a three-match test series, winning 3-0. Who was this against? Was it Australia, New Zealand or Pakistan? Pete? Pakistan. Pakistan. It was Pakistan, yeah. And I was pleased to see they were really putting the Ben Stokesism into it and really declaring, so you were thinking, they're either going to... They're going to lose, they're going to lose... Oh my gosh, they won. First time Pakistan have ever been beaten. Um, 3-0 at home. Yep. Yep. And the final question. Which of the following major tournaments will be held in 2023? Is it, are they, A, the Women's FIFA World Cup, B, the Ryder Cup, or C, the Rugby Union World Cup? Elaine. A, the Women's. I think it's the Women's World Cup. It's all three of them, <laughs> listeners. So we've got a lot of sport coming in 2023. <clears throat> we have the Ryder Cup in Rome. 
We have the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And we have the Rugby Union World Cup in France. And the great thing about France and Rome is we don't have to get up and set the alarm at Cilio Club to watch it. Right, listeners, that has been your sport. And a happy new year. Thank you, Sarah, very much. An interesting quiz and quite challenging. Um, But we're going to move on now. And here's Dave with Postbag. Available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website, the talking newspaper for Coventry. This is Outlook. Hello there and welcome to your postbag and a very happy new year to you. I would like to ask you to consider making your new year resolution to send in messages to postbag for your fellow listeners. Graham Wales starts us off by sending a message into postbag by phoning the resource centre on 02476 717522 and pressing 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper. He talks first about the mobility shop in the city centre that's due to relocate. Here's Graham. Dave Monks asked what, um, whether we bought anything from the shop, in uh, the shop mobility shop, in, by the um, uh, Barracks Car Park. Um, I'm not aware they actually sell anything, actually. Um, but you can hire wheelchairs if you have a mobility problem. The significant thing for perhaps listeners to outlook is, I believe, Ring and Ride drop off and pick up there. So if you use Ring and Ride, all you've got to do at the moment is nip up, nip up the alleyway into the precinct and you, you know, you're, you're near the shops. And of course, when the shop mobility unit moves to Salt Lane, you've got a lot further to walk. I would also want to correct something which I said when I talked about um, Heartbeat. I mentioned Dave Cordwell's cottage. I meant Dave Stockwell's cottage. I'm getting terrible with names these days. Now then, who am I? Thank you, Graham, for your support to me in Postbag since my very first Postbag and your very first message to me in 1984. When... Graham recorded a comment, a very supportive comment of Coventry City when the Outlook sports reporters' hopes were flagging. Three years later, Graham's positive comments were justified because the Sky Blues went on to win the FA Cup. Another stalwart of postbag is Julia, who has some sad news. Julia says, Bye-bye to my friend Catherine. I went to a funeral in Kettering. She passed away peacefully. She wasn't very old and we used to go to guys together and she was my best friend at Condover Hall. We love going shopping and buying sweets. We like gobstoppers. Her funeral was in a tiny church in Kettering and the vicar mentioned my name in the eulogy. We sang All Things Bright and Beautiful. I like that hymn. 
We sang it at my wedding too. Catherine loved cats and cuddly toys. There was a picture of a cat made of flowers on a coffin. I remember that one day she visited me with a friend called Steve. Steve sat on a chair in my house and it broke. Oh, how we laughed. Isn't it funny the things that we laugh at? After the funeral, we went to a pub with Dorothy and Trevor for a drink. But nobody got drunk and got arrested. Dorothy was one of Catherine's teachers. I will miss my friend Catherine very much. Happy New Year, everyone. Julia. Thank you, Julia, for all you've done to help keep Postbag going and making it so entertaining. Just before the Christmas edition of Postbag, our youngest son, Graham, took me along to the Sydney Community Centre in Leamington Spa for a sing-along. There entertaining was Haley. Her greeting got missed out of the Christmas edition of, of Outlook, so here she is again, introduced by the Mayfield Bellwingers who came to the Monday Club one Christmas. <laughs> everybody at Visibly Sound and probably talking to you is a very Merry Christmas. At the Monday Club, Tina comes up to me with a story to tell you most weeks, usually about Licky Grange Bromsgrove. Here she is with some Christmas memories. Right, we, we had, we're back at school again. A few years ago, we, were, well, we, had, we used to have a Christmas dinner on Wednesday and we have the afternoon off. We always sit with the teachers at lunchtime. We had sweets and everything like that, and treats. We had the we had the mince pies where we went back to our houses and that. We I think we did have the afternoon off. Now the next one is it's we're going back home again. Um, my cousin came down from London. She had a friend with her. Her name was Christine, and my cousin's name was Linda. Uh, I went to Auntie Lily's for the New Year, and they stayed. They came down on Boxing Day, and stayed. They took me back to London, and that's that. So it was the Christmas holidays. Thank you, Tina, for, and for also for your lovely Christmas card that you made for Sheila and myself. They are beautiful. Thank you for your inquiries about Sheila's health, who came home just before Christmas. And just before Christmas, the day before Sheila went into hospital, we went to the winter warmer at the resource centre. There I first spoke to a lady that Tina and Julia would be familiar with while having a meal. It's Elsie Taylor. I come on a Wednesday afternoon to help out with the craft group 
and I really enjoy it. There are a lot of things for sale today that we've made over the last several weeks, yes, and they're very, very lovely. I've always enjoyed crafting, lots of different types of crafting, and then when I retired, rather than just craft on my own at home, I thought it'd be nice to be able to come and help other people do some crafting. Karen, hello everybody. Hello, and, and you're serving on the jams and chutney stalls. Chutney, yes. yes. They're going very well. There was marmalade, but it's all sold out now. But <laughs> most, yeah, most of the produce here was actually grown at the allotment club for yes. the blind. Thank you. Also, I met a volunteer of five years called Fiona. So in the shop we have men's and women's clothing and footwear. We have children's clothing, children's games, jigsaw puzzles, books. Uh, we have DVDs, music, uh, pretty much everything you can think of in there. Yes. And now we have two enthusiastic comments about the food at the Winter Warmer from two members of the Monday Club, Jean and Janet. Oh, right, this name's Jean, Hacky of the Monday Club, and Janet. So, this, what do you think of the meals here, Jean? Very good, and I ex the mince pies made by Hugh this morning were beautiful, <laughs> really lovely, and we just well. yes, they do. And uh, this is what we've been having, isn't it? Yeah. Hello, yeah. hello Janet. You're in here. Have you been eating soup and a bread roll, and then we had uh, tea and a homemade scone and jam. It was lovely. We've all helped each other. <laughs> Wonderful, yes. thank you. Um, what did I have? Lenten and bacon soup. Sounds good. Absolutely delicious. That's great. They do do some nice soups here, they really do. Yes, they really, and, and really I would like to thank all the helpers that would give us that help that we need. We, we would not know what to do without them, honestly. That's great. Okay, thank you, Gina and Janet, thank you. Thank you, and we have a nice comment about a friend of the Monday Club, polar explorer and Everest mountaineer, Mark Wood. Here's Doreen Hilton. So, did you like Mark Wood, who came from the Himalayas? Yes, I no, did, I did. I took it all in, the beautiful dogs and what he was, um, what he was speaking about. Yes, it was lovely. The main thing I liked was when he was on about the bears. Thank you, Doreen, for your support. And the Monday Club had a Christmas party, and Graham and myself entertained. we entertained at Tesco where Graham works. We had a bucket collection and raised £70 for the resource centre. Thank you. 
Thank you for your messages this week. We really have been short of comments lately. I've been working my own magic to keep the length of post bag to, to about 10 minutes and the interest up by introducing you to my friends, including those in far-flung lands, which I hope you've enjoyed listening to, and where appropriate, little pieces from my own personal archives on Outlook, but it doesn't really compensate for your own input by phoning, writing, emailing, interpostbag, etc. So please keep this important means of communication going. There are very few talking newspapers that do the same thing. I haven't heard of one. Okay, may I wish you a very happy, healthy and peaceful New Year. Bye for now. This is Outlook. You can contact Postbag. Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk Join in the discussion on Postbag. Thanks, Dave, with a good post bag to start the new year. You'll remember that we start this part of the program looking at some of the notable architectural buildings around the city. And this time, Margaret is visiting Greyfriars and Christchurch. St Francis of Assisi was the founder of this order, which arrived in Coventry in 1234. The Greyfriars were a popular order and lived wholly on charity. They walked in pairs with wallets on their shoulders to receive alms. Greyfriars was built on land given by Ranulf Blunderville, Earl of Chester. Richard II gave them shingles from Kenilworth to roof their oratory. Edward the Black Prince gave them stone from his quarry in the Great Park. The Hastings family of Alsley and Silongley Castles were benefactors and were buried in the church's Hastings Chapel. Other chapels were St Anne's and the Rood Chapel. The body of the Sir Roger Mortimer, Marcher Lord and lover of Queen Elizabeth was brought here after his execution in 1330. A licence was later given to move him but no record exists of his removal. It was said that to be buried in the robes of a greyfriar would ensure entrance into heaven and many nobles subsequently were buried in this fashion. These friars were emissaries to the Pope and enjoyed considerable privileges. They were subject to no diocesan control. But as their influence waned, so did their income. And in 1534, Shortly before the dissolution of the monasteries, church commissioners reported, The whole house beside the church is in much ruin. The order had no land or tenements, and eleven friars signed the suppression order giving their house to the king. 
The building and the site were granted to the mayor, bailiffs and commonality of Coventry. The church was demolished, leaving its 210-feet tower and spire alone in an orchard. The steeple was blown down and repaired many times. Greyfriars Spire is the smallest of Coventry's three spires and rises from an octagon tower. Its beauty lies in its simplicity. The moulded arches were bricked up, but those on the east and north sides were open. It was used in the past by Mr Seeger as a pigsty, who boasted that he had the tallest pigsty in the kingdom. The plans to rebuild it originated with William Bunny, who started a subscription in 1819. His scheme came to nothing and before his death he bequeathed 200 guineas to the project. In 1826, a public meeting was called and the Commission of Parliamentary Grants for Building Churches said that if the inhabitants would raise half of the amount required, they would furnish the rest. The sum was procured. The new smaller church was designed by a Mr Rickman architect and the contractor was Mr Wolfhew of Birmingham. The erection of the building now called Christ Church commenced in 1829 and was completed and consecrated on the 3rd of August 1832. The inside was elegantly simple, measuring 101 feet in length with side aisles and six perpendicular windows on each side. The chancel was lighted with stained glass windows and there was a circular window over the altar. The second church was destroyed by bombs on the 8th of April 1941, once again leaving the tower and the spire standing alone. More next week from Margaret. I guess like me, you've seen a few television programmes and dramas over the Christmas break. I always think that one of the better dramas is Vera, set in Newcastle, and featuring Brenda Brethin as Detective Vera Stanhope in her flapping Macintosh and trademark Land Rover. Apparently, Anne Cleves, the author of the book from which the series is taken, says that her editor didn't want her to write a detective story, but Vera just appeared one day. This article by John Coates in the Daily Express is read by Bill. Author Anne Cleves will celebrate the publication of her tenth Vera's thriller on Thursday, 23 years after her finest creation was formed, Out of the Blue. Modern queen of crime admits the beloved detective, portrayed by Brenda Blethyn in the popular ITV adaptation, not supposed to get her own series. Instead, the defiantly dowdy Detective Inspector Vera Stanhope appeared fully formed midway through a 1999 novel, Crow Trap, Cure a Case of Writer's Block. After 20 years as a writer, without achieving commercial success, Anne was asked by her then-editor to write a standalone psychological suspense story that did not feature a detective. She made it a third of the way through what became the crow trap, before running out of ideas, saying, I couldn't think what I was going to do with the rest of it. I was writing this funeral scene. Everything had started and the door burst open and there she was, like a bag lady instead of a detective. Had a name too. As a result, the publication of The Rising Tide, 
tenth book in the Vera Stanhope series, marks a welcome twist of fate. Anne, 67, says, Did not think I would get to book ten, because Vera was not supposed to be in the series. Had this very young editor had decided that series detective fiction was a thing of the past, that nobody was going to read it anymore. He wanted me to write a book that did not have a detective in it, a big psychological suspense that would be a standalone novel. That's why, in The Crow Trap, it does not turn up until a third of the way through, because I was trying so hard not to have a detective in it. Then I reached a point where in she came, full of life. At the time, Anne described her Vera Stanhope, named after a village in County Durham, as a large woman, with bones amply covered, bulbous nose, man-sized feet. Her face was blotched and pitted. She admits the character that formed in her mind, based on formidable spinsters she encountered growing up after the Second World War, was softened during the eleven years that Brenda has made the role her own on TV. Speaking from Sydney, at the end of a week-long book tour of Australia, and said, I don't see Brenda when I write Vera, because she is elegant. She is not the grotesque that my Vera is. My Vera is bigger. She has bad skin and all that. She has softened a bit. I think because of Brenda. I do hear Brenda's voice when I'm writing dialogue, because she is so good at that put-down. Wit. TV drama of Vera made Anne a big name in Australia and the US. She feels it could not continue without Brenda, 76, in a lead role. This is in contrast to the long-running TV adaptation of her Shetland series, which is set to continue without her lead character, Jimmy Perez, portrayed by actor Dougie Henshaw. Anne, who has two daughters and six grandchildren, says, Brenda left the role. I think it would be it for Vera on the screen. Shetland without Jimmy Perez will be weird. I'm interested to see what they are going to do with it. At least they called it Shetland. It would have been very sad if they had called it Perez and he had gone. Taggart was never there. Anne says her trip to Australia, the first book tour since the pandemic, shown her why Vera Stanhope is so loved. It's been quite interesting doing this tour. Mostly, it is women of a certain age, obviously strong women, were so pleased to see themselves represented on telly. A woman who doesn't need a bloke, who isn't pandering to family, having the dilemma of having to rush back and cook the tea. Vera is authoritative, her own person, Good at what she does and not caring what she looks like. Not feeling the need to please people. That's what I like writing. What I think appeals to many over 50s women and some younger. Latest thriller, Rising Tide, sees Vera and sidekick guest Joe Ashworth all to a retreat on the holy island of Lindisfarne. A member of a group of school friends having a 50 year old reunion found hanged in his room. It was written during the first Covid lockdown, while not about the pandemic, and believes it was shaped by what the country was going through. When the pandemic hit, 
We were first locked down. Didn't know what was going to happen. I think we all thought this might be it. You were much more aware of your own mortality because you kept seeing the rising death toll and all those images of body bags coming out of Italy. This is why this book has a group of older people thinking about their own mortality, thinking about what they've done with their lives, and if there are any adventures still to do. A feeling of regret. If I don't do it now, I won't have time to do it. And the claustrophobia. Being on Holy Island also fits with the fact that we're all locked down as well. While Anne lives in Whitby Bay, Northumberland, stopped writing her Shetland books. With the TV series continuing independently, she says she has no plans to stop writing Vera one year. Set in Northumberland, Matthew Venn set in North Devon the next. The first Matthew Venn thriller, The Long Call, was adapted into an ITV drama last year, starring Ben Aldridge, Martin Shaw, Anita Dobson. The second series, not planned. And says, I still have things to say about Vera. I found out a bit more about her every time I write a book. She's lovely. So there will be another Vera. I'm certainly not stopping at ten. I've just submitted the first draft for the next Matthew Venn, book three in the series. So if all goes well, hopefully that will come out this time next year. It's something different for me bit more piratical, a bit of an adventure story. That's all I'm going to say. I know that many of you have been enjoying the short stories by Cynthia Townsend that Ali's been reading for us, and she starts off the new year with another tale, this one called Soul Searching and Stolen Identity. It wasn't an easy time for Laura, far from it. Through no fault of her own, she found herself homeless, and for the first time in her life she was frightened and unsure of what the future had in store for her. Just six months ago she was living in her own home. She had a job and a promising future and now it was all gone. But how did she get to this state? Laura was a victim of cloning. Someone had stolen her identity details and bit by bit had taken everything away from her and she could not see how she was going to get it back. She'd lost it all, including her reputation. Anyone that knew Laura regarded her as a good friend, a generous and kind person and at work she was what they classed as a safe pair of hands. She would be the one who'd be the first to volunteer for charity work, make a donation to a worthy cause or bake cakes for coffee mornings. In fact, she cared and always wanted to help others. Laura first guessed something was wrong when she applied to the bank for a loan as she needed to buy a new car. Well, not brand new, but one that wasn't as old as the banker she was driving around in. After she filled in all the details, she got an email back from them saying that they couldn't give her a loan as her credit rating was bad. This couldn't have been right. She'd never been turned down for anything. She paid her bills on time. She paid for everything up front, never putting anything on credit. In fact, she used to save up for things rather than having them on tick. 
something she was brought up respecting. So how could she have such a low credit rating? This kept happening to her again and again over the course of a few weeks. Bills kept coming up as not being paid when she knew she paid them. The bank contacted her about her mortgage repayments not being met. All her utility bills were in arrears and when the bailiffs came knocking at the door to repossess her valuable items, it was like a living nightmare. Word soon got around at work that Laura had the bailiffs in. They found out because a work colleague who lived on the same street took great relish in telling everyone. The boss called her into the office and said they'd been contacted by debt companies who wanted to take payments directly from her wages. He said he had no option but to suspend her. They couldn't have someone working for them who had access to their clients' sensitive financial information. It wouldn't reflect well on them if money went missing. This is more than Laura could bear. How could this be happening? And more importantly, who was doing it to her? When Laura's house got repossessed, it was like the end of the world to her. She had just one day to remove her belongings and try and find somewhere to stay. She couldn't sign up to an agency because no one would rent a property to her. And she used what little money she had to pay for somewhere to store her stuff. Then she tried to see if she could get one of her friends to put her up. She got the same reply, or variations of, from everyone she tried. Sorry we have no room. Sorry it's not convenient. Sorry we have visitors. Only one of her friends said it was okay for her to stay but for one night only. At least she had one night to try and sort out what was going on. Laura used her friend's laptop to look up identity fraud. An alarm bell started to ring when she saw how easy it was to steal someone's life. She couldn't think how it was done to her until she remembered a house guest she had a few months previously. It was someone she knew from her university days. She hadn't seen her for a while and was contacted out of the blue. Her name was Daisy and she said she was in the area and it would be great to meet up again and talk about the old days. At university, Daisy was someone who lived life to the full and always looked so well turned out with designer gear, something that the other students at the time couldn't work out how she paid for it all. When Daisy met Laura in the pub, she hadn't changed. She still had a liking for designer clothes and accessories and was dripping in gold and diamonds. It was obvious she was out to impress. When it came to the end of the evening, Daisy said that she'd left it too late to find a hotel and Laura insisted she stayed with her. The next morning, Daisy thanked Laura for letting her stay and gave her an air kiss and off she went. While Daisy was at Laura's, she must have gone through all of her stuff while she was asleep. To steal someone's identity, it doesn't take much. Daisy could have taken letters, utility bills of Laura's address. She could have taken a passport, a driving license. Then there was a notebook in her desk drawer, which had all her passwords for her online accounts. 
Yes, it was all coming clear as to how it happened and who had done it and why Daisy was rolling in it. And Laura doubted this was the first time she'd done this. Armed with this new information, Laura contacted the police as well as the action fraud team and gave them all the information she could about what had happened to her. She was reassured when they were so understanding and said it could happen to anyone. The police eventually caught up with Daisy and yes, it wasn't the first time she'd done this. When they raided her house, they found hundreds of false IDs and accounts in others' names. There were boxes of building society books with thousands of pounds in them, false passports, driving licenses belonging to other people and amongst them all, was Laura's life. Daisy had stolen Laura's ID and taken out all sorts of loans in her name and pocketed the cash. It was a combination of relief and anger when the police told Laura the extent of Daisy's fraud but reassured her she'd be punished and face a very long prison sentence. Laura was upset that someone she knew could have done this to her and also frightened as to how easy it was Looking back, Laura realised how slapdash she'd been. She honestly didn't know about the bills or invoices because Daisy had diverted Laura's post. Criminals commit identity theft by stealing your personal information. This is often done by taking documents out of your rubbish. But in this instance, it was Daisy who'd taken them from Laura's own house. It had been so easy for Daisy to take over Laura's life and it took her a while again before she could trust anyone. One thing was for certain. She was going to be more careful in future about keeping personal documents locked up and be mindful that not everyone can be trusted, even so-called friends. It was a hard lesson to learn. It took several months to get everything resolved, but slowly and surely... Laura's finances improved and were getting back to how they should be. Eventually all the debts were written off and she was able to get herself back on track. She also decided to look for another job. Even though her employers offered to welcome her back with open arms, it hurt her that they didn't believe her when she told them the debts were nothing to do with her. But then faith intervened. She got a call out of the blue from D.C. Allen Bentley, the fraud officer who'd handled the case. He said they were setting up a local branch of action fraud because cases of identity fraud had risen by 50% over the past two years and they wanted her to join their team. D.C. Bentley was impressed with the way she took it all in her stride and the advice they gave her and how she worked well with them to get herself back on track. He said she'd be the ideal person to work to help others who'd gone through a similar thing. He wanted her to consider a role in PR, fronting up the awareness campaigns and working with the local and wider communities. Laura jumped at the chance. She had heard and learnt the hard way. And if she could do something to stop this from happening to anybody else, she would do. And after a lot of soul-searching, she decided that this was a career move she was willing to take a chance on. Laura and D.C. Bentley made such a good team, in fact, that a couple of years later, 
they made their working relationship a more personal and permanent one when they got married. Meeting and marrying him was the happy ending she never thought she'd get. And her stressful experience is something that was now in her past. She now has a new and exciting life to look forward to. And nothing or no one will ever take this away from her. Not long before Christmas, Dave and his son Graham did a barrel bike ride from Christ the King Church in Cowden to Coventry's revamped station. Here's his report. Good morning. Whereabouts are we going? Uh, outside Christ the King, on the by the uh, barrel bikes, going to hire one and go through the city centre to the uh, train station. Okay, so come along and join us on the barrel bikes. That's it. That's it. The bike is unlocked. Now off we go. It's an electrical assisted bike, which is not too bad because we're going downhill anyway. So we're going to move on. Somewhere ahead is Graham. Here he is. Okay, we're catching him up pretty fast actually. Here we are. You might be able to hear the bike going along. We're cycling towards the traffic lights now. And when they turn green, you can cycle straight across the road. Here we are. We cycle across the road now. That's uh, Barker Butts Hill. Cycling towards Mosley Avenue. So going towards the next set of traffic lights. Where we stop, the lights are changing to green. And there's a, a green sign showing illuminated green bike. Now Graham has got an ordinary bike and he's pedalling away. And I'm, I'm pedalling away actually, yes. And it's not quite so much effort with an electrically assisted bike and we're going uh, past the uh, former site of Cowden Road Rugby Football Ground and it's a housing estate now with some nice houses on it and we're going past Duckham Court a well-known Coventry rugby footballer and we're going towards the railway bridge and they've still got the old Cowden uh, station building right okay we're going underneath Cowden railway bridge now hello yeah we're going along the cycle lane at the side of the road separate from the traffic this is very, very good. Hi, Graham. Yeah, public school on the left-hand side. It was uh, it was used as the posh school in the film Nativity. Okay, we're joining the main road now. We're going towards the bridge over the ring road. And there's uh, St. Osberg's Church on the right hand side. 
And I think Graham's pulling up here. Yeah, such of uh, Christ the uh, Redeemer on the cross. Yeah. With people praying by sign kneeling down. Yeah, that's right. By and Graham. Uh, the uh, brief is just a couple of years old now. Yes. Going over the nice, nice arched uh, blue bridge. And we're able to cycle over the bridge too. So it's all cycle friendly these days, which is very nice. Okay, we're going over the bridge now. And there's a nice long ramp down from the bridge for wheelchairs and for bicycles. There we are, we emerged at the bottom of the bridge. Now we're going along the road with some very old buildings now. I think it's Hill Street. There's the Friends Meeting House, uh, Quakers, on the right hand side. This is the Bonds Hostel on the right hand side. It's used in uh, Dot 2 in the uh, set story about William Shakespeare. Yes, it was. The Bonds Court on the left hand side was opened by Princess Diana. Turning right, uh, Fleet Street leading to Spon Street on the right, and an old restored building. And then there's the uh, town crier. Sheila and I went in there not so long ago, and it was very nice. Going along Queen Victoria Road, and the uh, former IKEA building, a big huge blue building, is on the right. Okay, there was a sculpture on the top of the building, the IKEA building. Oh yes, there's a statue of a man holding a clock. Okay, <laughs> where are we going now? That's the, um, um, the Stanley statue. The Stanley statue, yes. We're going towards Greyfriars Green. And there's a house where uh, George Eliot went to school. We're coming into Greyfriars Green now. And here, we're cycling round the statue uh, of a woman actually. Well, it's um, center of the um, different gear. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, James Starley, inventor of the differential gear for the, the modern, used in the modern bicycle. Excellent. There you are, James Starley, 1884. Now, we have a big metal horse made up of plates of metal and that. Okay, this horse is commonly known as Trigger. He was actually modelled on the horse of Alexandra the Great. This horse is rearing up and painted black. So Frygate, here we are. Ah, we've arrived at the bike racks. Okay, now you have to run the bike in the rack. There you are, it's locked.
Okay, we've arrived at the train station. Uh, so things have improved here in recent times, haven't they? Yeah, it's a new um, extension for the car park underneath, and you can access from the ground level, you can access the train station from White Road. We've arrived at Coffee One, right next to the station. Now there's some uh, interesting references to bicycles here, isn't there? There's a uh, sort of picture on the wall saying about the um, Tubu safe, safety bike, yeah. Yes, there's a cyclist wearing true blue and he's riding a safety bike which the, uh, the rear wheel is uh, quite a bit bigger than the front wheel and there's a painting of James Starley on the wall and it says James Starley, inventor considered father of the modern bicycle industry which grew up in Coventry and that's a very appropriate way to say thanks for joining us on our cycle ride and that's all from our cycle ride right next to Coventry station where we leave you okay cheerio from both of us bye bye you certainly need to be wrapped up warm for a bike ride in this weather Christmas may be over, but the twelfth night is this week, and that celebrates the arrival of the three wise men bearing gifts for baby Jesus. And this poem, The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot, is read by Margaret. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The way is deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the city's hostile and the town's unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a watermill beating the darkness and three trees on the low sky. And an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon finding the place. It was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. 
This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. That brings this Outlook programme to an end. Um, just a reminder, with the current disruption of postal services by strike action, we've had problems before Christmas getting the wallets back in time for the following programme. So our apologies. Uh, but some of you may not have been getting your postal memory stick every week. And obviously, with the continuation of the regular strike action, the quicker you can post back your stick and wallet, the better the chance we have of receiving it in time. Thank you for that in advance. And finally, we have a bit of a quiz for you. Um, and I'm now going to give you just five questions. The answers will be given next week. Um, but here we go. If you were born on Christmas Day, under what zodiac sign would you be? In Germany, what would you eat on Christmas Day instead of Turkey? In which year was the Queen's Christmas message first televised? Which actor, born on Christmas Day in 1899, said the famous line, Here's looking at you, kid. And finally, how many gifts were given in the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas Carol? As I said, the answers will be uh, given out next week. Uh, and with that, my best wishes for a happy and healthy new year. Goodbye from me, Peter Walters. <laughs>